Well, good morning, church. Uh, happy Resurrection Sunday. I wish that we were all together and I was uh, delivering this message to you in person, uh, but we can look forward to that. And, and, and no matter where we are, or even though we're all in our living rooms right now, um, we're going to celebrate that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive, aren't we? And, and Jesus is alive forevermore. Uh, that's what we're going to do. And, and that even though we're together in spirit and not together physically, uh, we can still do that. This morning, we're going to finish our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, um, Paul's letter to the uh, church in the city of ancient Corinth. And, and, and it's been kind of a, a journey that we've been on with this. We started by looking at the imperfect church, the this idea that, that we are imperfect far from perfect in fact but we are loved by the perfect Jesus and and that led into this teaching on on life together that that because of that perfect love of Jesus we are united together and the lives we live should reflect that and then we moved on to looking at joyful denial this idea that that because of that unity that's ours in Jesus um, uh, we can joyfully lay down our rights and our preferences for the good of others and when we do that we show the world what Jesus is like and then that unity leads into the church gathered. That that, that unity we have in Jesus uh, should instruct and inform how we worship Him when we're gathered together. Uh, that that we have that we're all equally part of the the body of Christ. We've all been equally gifted in in different ways to serve and love the body of Jesus. And when we do that, we demonstrate that God is actually present with the church. And now, right at the end of this letter. Uh, we get to this part that we're calling, we called Beyond the Grave. And the reason we've called it that is because it's about the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of that for us. And, and in many ways, this whole book has been leading up to this point. It, it, just like all of history was leading up to that point. Uh, that, that, that all of this teaching that Paul has given his church about all the different aspects of life is based upon and are, are necessary because of this one fundamental truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and those who believe in him will live with him forever. That's the message of Easter. That's the hope that we can offer the world right now. And that's the hope that is offered to us through this text. And throughout Paul's teaching in this letter, um, he's been demonstrating to us that as we learn to live as the body of Christ, as we learn to live together, as we learn to serve each other or worship each other and live in the way that, that, that God commands us to, that we are kind of in training um, uh, to, to live in that perfection in the presence of God forever. And so we strive to live our lives now in ways that put into practice that reality that we will exist in with Christ in glory, in perfect humanity, in perfect life, in perfect love, in perfect relationship forever. It's all been built into this point. The last few weeks have been hard, haven't they? I know that uh, for some of you it's been harder than others. Maybe you've been in isolation alone and that's really hard. Um... Maybe you're one of the uh, frontline care workers, and I know some of you are, and you're seeing the effects of this horrible disease up close and personal. Maybe you've been sick yourself. Maybe you've even lost someone to this disease. Uh, But the one thing that we all share in these kind of coronavirus days is that we've all had to learn to live in a new world. That's that's basically it. The the world has changed, and we've we've all had to adapt, and and we've all had to learn new rhythms and habits. And and one of the things that's changed for, for my family is that me and Haley have started working out more than we ever did before. Now, granted, it's not hard to work out more than zero, but I can honestly say to you guys that we are working out more now than we ever have. Um, 
And, and I think that that's one of the things that I've seen come out of this situation. There seems this overwhelming kind of sense that everyone is now concerned about their health and well-being and their bodies. Like on Instagram, you see people posting more and more home workouts and you know, getting blasted with home workouts all the time. There's more adverts for online fitness classes, online yoga classes, home training equipment. Um, you know, blast those abs in 20 minutes. That's the one I'm doing, obviously. I hope you can tell. Um, that's a joke. Uh, even the kids are getting involved with the online PE classes. Now I have Joe Wicks, the body coach, shouting in my living room at nine o'clock every morning, which is a fabulous start to the day. <laughs> but, but I think that when uh, something like a pandemic or a tragedy hits humanity like this, it, it causes humanity to face up to just how fragile our bodies are. Just how temporary these lives are. Just, just how adverse to death we really are. You see, there's something within all human beings that tells us that death is to be avoided at all costs. Deep down we know that, that we need to avoid death, but, but also the problem is deep down we know that we cannot avoid it. Death is inevitable. Death comes for us all. We know that there's nothing we can do to stop it. And so what humanity has done is, is think, well, well, maybe we can postpone death. Uh, maybe we can cheat it for a few extra years. And so, so medicine, th and thank God for medicine, but medicine now is, is helping people live longer than they ever have before. The health food and exercise industries are absolutely huge. And the other thing is we, we think that, well, maybe we can just ignore death. So we try to cover up the evidence that death is coming anti-aging uh, cosmetics and, and exercising and all these kind of things and making ourselves look good. Uh, I read this week that the cosmetics industry is worth $532 billion worldwide every year. That's a lot of money to cover up the evidence that we're all getting old and that death is approaching. You see, the whole world is searching for perfection and immortality. Because deep down we know that death is coming and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Uh, Radiohead uh, and Tom York, the, the singer, one of my favorite songwriters, in this song called Creep, he puts it this way. He says, I don't care if it hurts. I, I want to have control. I want the perfect body. I want the perfect soul. But if we look around the world, we don't have to look too far to see that things are far from perfect. Immortality is in short supply. Even before coronavirus brought it so sharply to our attention, um, people are dying in their thousands every single day. It seems that immortality and perfection are as elusive for humanity as they have ever been. But, but the Bible gives us another point of view, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that perfect uh, perfection and immortality are found in abundance in Jesus. If we just know where to look, we can find perfection and immortality. There's a standard of perfection that we all inherently as human beings long for because this is what we're created for. This is why death is so painful, because we weren't made for death. It's unnatural. It's offensive to our very being. When someone we love dies, if, if the reason it feels like our soul is being torn in two is because we weren't meant to die. We were created for life. Every human being desires and longs for perfection and immortality because perfection and immortality are part of the one whose image we are made in. 
but perfection and immortality can be found and that's exactly Paul says what lies ahead for those of us who believe in Jesus and this is what Easter Sunday teaches us last Sunday uh, Lucas taught us so well in the first half of 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and, and in that in that passage we saw that Jesus is described by Paul as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep he's the first fruits of the resurrection and the interesting thing about the first fruits is that they were the part of the harvest, the first part of the harvest crop that were brought into the temple to be offered to God. A way of giving thanks to God for providing uh, food and crops for this year. And the first fruits, the interesting thing about the first fruits is that the first fruits and the harvest are all part of the same stuff. They're all part of the same crop. There is no difference. And so if Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, then the rest of the crop will be resurrected too. There is no separation. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that those who are in him will be resurrected too. If you die as a Christian, hear me when I say this, this is true, this is what Jesus says to us. If you die as a Christian, you will be raised, to the, raised from the dead when Jesus returns. Hallelujah. What hope. Like what a message of hope this is for the world that, that, that seems to be losing their minds right now. And so we don't just celebrate Easter remembering something, a miraculous thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not just about celebrating that a man or a good teacher or, or whatever rose from the dead. It's about celebrating an event that, that changed the course of history, that changed everything for us, that gave us a new and future hope, a secure hope that we will never die. And Paul spends the first half of this chapter uh, proving to the Corinthians that the resurrection is true. Hey, he's saying Jesus really did rise from the dead. And now he wants to share uh, with them what it means for them. He wants to show them the reason why the resurrection matters. And it matters a lot. You see, because Jesus rose from the dead, we will be equipped to be with him in perfection forever. Because Jesus rose from the dead... We will be equipped to be with him in perfection forever. That's, that's our glorious future. And, and I was thinking, well, glorious future, that doesn't sound like a very, you know, kind of common way to put that. But, but I can't think of any other way to put it. It's glorious. It's a glorious future. But the thing is, it, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It kind of beggars belief. This idea that we will rise from the dead, that, that goes, it's far beyond our, our human understanding. We can easily understand what happens to people when they die, can't we? Because most of us have, have, have experienced what it's like to lose someone. Most of us have been to a funeral where there's a, a burial or a cremation. And in those moments, there is a finality to death. A seeming finality. It seems impossible to our physical senses and our earthly minds that there could be anything after that. And, and on the other hand, most of us don't have any experience of resurrection from the dead. We can't understand it. It's hard to grasp. But it's important that we do grasp it. And so no wonder the Corinthians have to ask these basic questions like, well, what will we look like? Or, or how can this happen? What will our bodies be like? If we're going to raise from the dead our bodies? What? Are you serious? What will we look like? And for Paul, it's so, it's so important, it's so vital even, to understand resurrection of the dead that he attempts to explain the inexplicable. 
And so he uses these examples from creation to do it. Now, I'm from the country and I worked on the farm for uh, a few years. Um, and so I'm always pretty happy when the Bible uses agricultural examples or analogies to explain stuff. That's something I can get. But, but even if you don't grow in the country or have any experience of farming, uh, you'll, you'll know that most of what you eat comes out of the ground. Or at least it should. Get your five a day. If most of what you eat doesn't come from the ground, then you're eating way too much meat and processed food. Uh, but, but make sure that you get your five a day. That's what I'm trying to say. And most of what we eat comes out of the ground. And Paul says, look, why do you find this idea of resurrection so hard to grasp? When the basic principle of resurrection is already part of your every day. Look, a seed goes into the ground, it's buried, and then out of that death and, and burial and resurrection comes uh, resurrection in the form of new life. Something is resurrected in the, in, in the form of something that even sustains life. See, every time you eat a vegetable or a piece of fruit, you are in a way experiencing the principle of resurrection. So, so don't think that resurrection is too hard a, a miracle for God to perform because it happens every time something grows in the soil. And then Paul goes on. See, not only will you be resurrected, but you will be resurrected in a new form. What he's saying is that those of us who die in Christ will be resurrected from the dead in a new resurrection body. And man, I can't wait for this. A body that is fit for the purposes of being in the presence of God. And so, in a way, Paul is saying that, that resurrection is like being changed or transformed. Even the Christians who are alive, you're still alive when Jesus returns, will be changed in an instant to have this new kind of body. Why? Because we need a body that isn't tainted by sin and death so that we can dwell face to face with God who is sinless and not tainted with death. You see, the, the bodies we have in this life are fallen bodies. They're infected with sin. Our bodies reek of sin and death. You only have to look around the world right now to see what's happening, to see that this is true. Our bodies, tainted by the fall, get sick, grow old, they're fragile, they eventually die. And nothing that is tainted with sin can be in the presence of God. That's why in the Old Testament, the, the Israelite people, uh, they, they had all these purification rituals to make themselves clean, to be able to live in the camp of Israel where the presence of God dwelt in their tabernacle in the middle of the, of the camp. They had, to be, they had to prepare their bodies to be close to the presence of God. And this is why we need new bodies. And when Jesus returns... The Christians who have, have, who have died will be raised with new bodies and those who are still alive will be changed, will be clothed with this glorification, will be clothed with these resurrection bodies. You see, sometimes we have this idea that heaven will be kind of just like, will be like ghosts floating around, will be like spirits, you know, sitting on clouds, flying around or whatever. But, but the Bible tells us that, that we will have physical bodies. They won't be exactly like this, but we will have physical bodies. And the difference will be that our new bodies will never get old. They will never get sick. They will never deteriorate. They will never uh, lose their memory and their minds. They won't be susceptible to cancer. There will be no COVID-19. And, and, and think of this. This is the hope that the world needs to hear right now. And Revelation 21 verse 4 gives us a glimpse into what this life will be like in that new reality with these new bodies. 
It says, he, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is what it will be like to live in our new bodies in the presence of God forever. And we will be given, those of us who are in Jesus, will be given these new bodies and equipped to live in this new creation. We see this in verses 30, 39 to 41 of our passage. Paul explains that already in nature, God has created different kinds of bodies to exist in different environments. There are the animals that, that, that have lungs and can live in the land and breathe air. There are the fish that have bodies that, that are suited to, that are streamlined and, and can and breathe through gills and live in water. There are even birds who have wings that can fly around in the sky. And if you've ever watched a, a Blue Planet or Blue Planet 2 with Dave Attenborough, brilliant, you should watch it. You'll have seen those weird and wonderful and absolutely disgusting fish that live at the very bottom of the sea uh, and are subject to the darkness and the, the immense pressure. But, but God has given them bodies that are uniquely suited to live in those conditions. God has written into nature this very principle that he creates bodies that exist in different environments. And so if we can see this in nature, why would we not believe that God can create a body to fit, uh, fit to live in heaven, in the new creation, on the new earth, fully in the presence of God? Church, this is the future that is ours. God will equip us to live in the new creation, fully face to face in his presence forever. And you see, there's something in this teaching about resurrection that affirms the dignity of humanity. See, Christ, the eternal Son of God, that the one without beginning and without end, the one through whom everything that was made was made, took on human flesh. He became a human being. He, he, he died as a human being and he was raised as a human being. When he walked out of that tomb, he didn't leave his body behind him. No, the tomb is empty. He walked out in human flesh and not only that he ascended to the right hand of the father where he sits at his side interceding for us and will exist there forever in human flesh and this tells us something about the sanctity of our bodies doesn't it your body matters there is dignity in your anatomy your body is not something to be treated with contempt. It's not something to be discarded or destroyed. It's not something to be, to be mutilated or messed around with. You see, Jesus didn't just appear on earth one day, bring out the thin air. No. He was conceived in Mary's womb. And, when, and so doing, he confirmed the dignity of human life at every stage of development, from conception to death. Verse 39 tells us that there's something different about human beings from the rest of creation. And there is glory in the rest of creation. If you've ever went up to the north coast and just looked out at the sea or up to Donegal, if you've looked at the stars in a really dark night, if you've seen a beautiful sunset, or even if you've watched those nature programs, you see the glory of creation. But verse 39 tells us the glory of human beings is different from the glory of the rest of creation. And and in this moment right now, while the world is acutely focused on preserving human life and putting huge effort into stopping the spread of this awful disease and saving the lives of those who have it, 
We, as the people of God, we have an opportunity to stand up and say, yes, human life is precious. Human beings are different. Human life is always worthy of being preserved because we are made in the image of God. And God himself graced us with his presence in human form and he will be in human form forever. In these days that no doubt will change the way we see the world. We, the church, have the opportunity to, to speak to and, and speak into and support and, and work hard to preserve life. And we can tell the, reason, the world that the reason it's good to do so is because when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't lay down his humanity. He raised humanity up out of the grave with him. Human life is precious. And Paul says, hey, just as as, as as Christ was raised in humanity, so you will be raised. You will follow with him. Why? Because we have been united with him. This is what he goes on to talk about in the next section of this. The resurrection is real for us because union with Christ is real for us. We are actually one with Christ and one with Christ we cannot die. In fact, it is because of our union with Adam that death is real for us. You see, Adam is our head. He was the human representative. He was tasked by God to live in union with God, in close relationship with God, and, and therefore lead all of humanity in that union with God, in that close relationship. But we know he failed. And so because he was humanity's representative, humanity's head, we were under his headship, we inherit his disobedience and separation from God. But on the flip side, when we believe in Jesus, we are united with Jesus through faith. And so Jesus becomes our head. He becomes our representative. And so we inherit his obedience and union with God. Death came by a man, Adam. But resurrection and life also comes by a man, Jesus. And this is why the virgin birth is such a big deal. It's why it's necessary. Because by being born without uh, an earthly father, Jesus was not under the headship of Adam. Jesus did not inherit Adam's sinful nature. And see, Jesus isn't just a, a, an example for us to follow. He wasn't just sinless in his behavior, although he was. He crucially wasn't under the headship of Adam, and so he was sinless in his nature. And this is why Paul is so keen to point this out to the Corinthians. He said, hey, you need to believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead. This is why it matters. And this has real implications for your salvation. Because if we as Christians don't grasp the doctrine of the resurrection, what Paul is teaching here, we don't understand that we are under Christ's headship. And without being under the headship of Christ, we could have no salvation. You see, yes, Christ actively obeyed the law of God. He never sinned. He was actually righteous. And so he can give us, he can impute to us his actual righteousness. And not only that, he accepts the debt of sin that we owe to God, but we could not pay. And therefore he takes on our sinfulness. And this is what's called the great exchange. And it's this trade of his righteousness for our sinfulness that we can stand before God under his headship not just having our sins forgiven, but having our slate wiped clean. We can stand under the headship of Jesus before God, actually righteous. Praise Jesus. And because of that, because we are under his headship, we can actually, in the realest of terms, 
anticipate the resurrection of our human bodies. We will rise because Christ, our head, has risen. Hallelujah. This is incredible. What grace. We didn't deserve this. But Jesus paid our debt when he died on the cross. And he defeated our punishment when he walked out of that tomb. And this is how he equips us to be in the presence of God forever. And praise God Jesus rose from the dead. Because without it, we are lost. But not only are we equipped to be in the presence of God forever. But because Jesus has risen from the dead, we have victory over death. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we have victory over death. We've already mentioned that that universal truth that everybody dies. And that means that, that at some point everyone comes to a place or a point in their lives where they have to reckon with or face up to death. And I can't remember a time when this has been more poignant than it is right now. Real people, real families and friends and neighbours and loved ones, real people you know, maybe you yourself, facing the reality of death. Death really is our enemy. The sting of death is sin, verse 56 tells us. And that sting is the word, it's like, a, it's like a scorpion sting. It's like poison. You see, death is the poison that sin has injected into the world. But there is an antidote to that poison. And the antidote is Jesus. I love this story in, in, in John chapter 11 of, of how Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus has died. And so he hears this news and he, he goes to Lazarus' family um, to comfort them and to mourn with them and to grieve the loss of his friend, but, but, but ultimately to, to raise Lazarus back to life. And Lazarus' sister, Martha, she says to Jesus, Lord, you're too late. He's dead. I know, I've seen you do amazing things. I know that you can heal the sick. And if you had just been here, you could have healed him. And you know what Jesus said to her? He said... I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe me? You see, the resurrection isn't just some miracle that Jesus performed. Jesus is the resurrection. And whoever believes in him, even though they might die in this life, they will be resurrected and live forever. For those who die in Christ, death is not final. That's why Paul says, I love this term, he says, he, can, he, does, he calls, says they've fallen asleep. They've just fallen asleep. It's not final if you're in Christ. And one day they will wake up. One day the trumpet will sound and that will be their alarm clock to wake them up in a new life, in a new body in which they will never die. This is the hope we have. I know that lots of you lost loved ones. But if they've died in Christ... It's not final. When Christ gave up his life and died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin. But in his resurrection, he defeated sin by overcoming its poison. When Jesus walked out of that tomb on the first Easter Sunday morning, he emphatically declared to every sphere of reality that death is defeated. And because of that, because we are in Christ, that victory is ours. Verse 57 says, God who gives us the victory. It doesn't say uh, we'll give the victory or someday we will have the victory. Paul says God who gives the victory. It's present tense. 
This is something that we possess now through Jesus Christ, even though we live in decaying bodies, even though we're, we're faced with disease and death, even though we watch our loved ones getting old and die, even though the struggle with sin and death seems real, we have the assurance that the victory is ours. Our victory is assured. No matter how dark the night gets, we know that the morning will come. The dawn is coming. And so we just walk forward in life. We can walk forward even in the middle of a crisis like this, even in the middle of a pandemic like this, in joy, in confidence, in hope, in peace, in contentedness, knowing that the victory is ours because it has been given to us by God through Jesus Christ. And because we have this victory over death, we don't have to continue to live in the fear of death, right? Church, we do not have to fear this pandemic. You don't have to live in anxiety and worry. Yes, let's take precautions and follow the government guidelines because human life is precious and let's do what we can to preserve it. But let's not, our, let's not let our hearts be so gripped by fear that we forget that Jesus rose from the dead and he has defeated death. Death is defeated. Live in the victory that is ours through Jesus. Like the song says, our bodies may be dying, but we'll always be alive. And maybe you're watching this this morning and you're not a Christian. And maybe coronavirus has got you considering your own mortality. And maybe you do live in the fear of death. And, and honestly, I would just kindly say to, the, to you that if you're not trusted in Jesus, you should fear death. Because to die without believing in Jesus means that death will be eternal. And you were made for life. You were created for life, not for death. But, but you see, sin has robbed you of that life. And so turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Turn from your fear and anxiety and just give it all to him. Repent just means to turn. Turn from your old life and turn away from that and turn to Jesus. And when you do that in faith, You'll be united with him and that hope of that resurrection is yours. That victory can be yours. And, and listen, if you want to ask some questions about that, please get in touch. I'd love to answer any questions or help you understand this. And show you that, that because Jesus rose from the dead, that we can have victory over death. So, because Jesus rose from the dead, we are equipped to live uh, in perfection with him forever. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we have victory over death. And finally then, I just want to finish with this one last thought. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have work to do. Paul finishes this section with a call to action. I'm just going to read it in verse 58. Therefore, that just means because of everything that's come before, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, labor, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, because Jesus has risen from the dead, there is work for us to do. And not just to do, but to be steadfast, to be immovable in, to never give up doing this work. We're to abound in doing this work. That means that we're to do it excessively. We are to never stop doing this work. So what is it? What is this work that we have to do? Uh, what is this work of the Lord, as he calls it, that is not in vain? Well, if we go back to verses 14 to 16 of this same chapter, uh, we get a clue. 
Um, he says, in, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Paul is talking about preaching the gospel and representing God and testifying that Jesus has risen. And then look at 34. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. Paul tells them to wake up and stop sinning because some people don't even know about God. So in light of the resurrection, the work that we have to do is to preach the gospel, to live holy lives, to represent God to those who don't know him. This is our labour church. We are to keep preaching the gospel. We are to keep pursuing holiness in our lives. We are to keep representing God in all that we do because the people around us don't know God. And this is what we're called to because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Because Jesus walked out of that tomb, we have work to do. And listen, this is he says our labour is not in vain. We live righteous lives and we declare the gospel to actually show that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, the promise here that our work is not in vain isn't a guarantee that you will see fruits of your labour. You see, your community might not be changed by the light of Jesus. Your friends might not come to know Jesus. But this does not mean that your work is, not, is in vain. You can share the gospel, pursue holiness. You can live your life in a way that represents God no matter what. Because what validates our labour for Jesus is not the results we see, but the reason we do it. Our work for Jesus is valid because Jesus has risen from the dead. Our success is in our faithfulness to the message of Jesus. Listen to what Paul in another letter to another church in Romans 6 uh, verses 1 to 4 says. He says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Kind of makes sense when you think about it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus, there's our union with Christ, are baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. There's a union with Christ again. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, there's the resurrection. Why? That we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, church, Paul is saying that because Christ has been raised from the dead, we shouldn't go on sinning. Because his resurrection it means that not only are we assured of a resurrection to come, but we have in a way been resurrected in this life now. We've been raised to walk in a newness of life. So church, here's my Easter message. He is risen. Now go and be resurrection people. Go and live in light of the resurrection. Jesus is risen. Let's go and preach the gospel. Let's go and pursue holiness. Let, let, let's go and reach our friends and neighbours. Let, let's go and stop on sinning. Why? Because they don't know God. Live in the hope that you have received. Walk in the victory that is yours through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So the resurrection is not just our future hope. Resurrection life is a life that we have, in a sense, here and now. Eternal life begins for us the moment we put our trust in Jesus. So we don't walk in fear when the world is losing its mind. And listen, I'm not trying to play down this pandemic. This is awful and we should be gravely concerned for our friends and loved ones. And we should do everything we can to protect human life. But, but we don't walk in truth. 
or we don't walk in fear because the truth is that this will not be the last tragedy the human race sees. This may not be the last pandemic. And so we don't walk in fear of death and we don't walk in false hope. We walk in the reality that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive forevermore and he will never die. And so we go out to our friends and neighbours and we deliver the hope that we've found to them because we know that without this hope uh, they are lost. We go out to the world in whatever ways we can and as faithful as we can and we share the good news of Jesus and we keep on sharing the news because the real good news that the world needs to hear right now is not that a vaccine has been found, not that the death figures every day are going down, but the real good news the world needs to hear is that Jesus has defeated death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your poison? And this is the message the world needs right now. And we see the church, we the church, are the loudspeaker that God has chosen to deliver that message to the world. So let's uh, be, be full of the confidence of the resurrection and do that. Listen, uh, one of my favourite TV shows was this show called Band of Brothers. I, I'm sure some of you have seen it at least, but it's about a company of paratroopers that dropped behind enemy lines in World War II. And one episode, they're, they're pinned down in Carantan in France and um, they're, they're on the front line and they're, it's winter time, they're freezing, uh, they're, they're under-equipped, there aren't enough of them to hold the line and they're literally getting blown to bits. People are dying all around them and they're in, in their foxholes and the trees are exploding from the German shells. Now, imagine if you could go back to that real moment in time and, and, and tell the soldiers uh, that... That, that no matter how hard this is, that no matter how hopeless it seems, no matter how high the death toll around them is, no matter how defeated they think they are, victory is guaranteed. I've come from the future and I know that the Allies win the war. Now imagine how they would keep on fighting. Imagine, imagine how they would respond if they knew that their victory is secure. Well, listen, this is what we get to do for the world right now. We know that death has been defeated. We know that there is access to immortality. We know that death will be no more. And so we can bring this good news that victory over death has been won. Surely in a moment like this, the church is called into action. So church, I'm finished here, but listen, I know this isn't the Easter that we would all want. We want to be together and celebrate and, and hug each other. But listen... We will do that forever in the presence of God face to face with Jesus in our new bodies one day. Uh, but, but no matter what's happening on earth, this is where God has us here right now for this moment because this is where he needs us. And so can I just encourage you to share the gospel any way you can during this time. The world is looking for a way to defeat death and, and we can show them the way. Just as we've received the gospel, we in thankfulness go out or online or whatever that looks like right now and we share what we have received. That because Jesus has risen from the dead, we are equipped to be in his presence forever and we have victory over death. Uh, we're going to celebrate that victory now through taking the communion meal together. A meal that proclaims the defeat of death by reenacting Jesus' death, the, the only death that ever made sense. 
And so John is going to lead us in a couple of songs. And as he does, let's take this bread and wine together. Uh, and maybe if you're on your own, just say to yourself, or if you're with uh, someone else in your house, just say these words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's be filled as, as we do that with this hope of the resurrection. And as we are filled with that hope, let's be renewed in strength to look outward and share with the world what we have received. And what have we received? Jesus is alive and he is alive forevermore. And when we believe in him, we will never die. Let's pray.